This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello, and once more welcome to the programme. Where in our pursuit to develop bodhicitta, we've been considering Tong Len, that is, taking on suffering and giving away happiness. Our discussion is based on the text, Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun. And, if you remember, the author Namkar Pal speaks about practicing Tong Len both for living beings and for the environment they live in. We completed our discussion on Tong Len for living beings and last week started speaking about the environment and our dependence on it. Remember Thich Nhat Hanh's wonderful words. This beautiful, bounteous, life-giving planet we called Earth has given birth to each one of us, and each one of us carries the Earth within every cell of our body. The Earth is our mother, nourishing and protecting us in every moment, giving us air to breathe, fresh water to drink, food to eat, and healing herbs to cure us when we are sick. Every breath we inhale contains our planet's nitrogen, oxygen, water vapor and trace elements. When we breathe with mindfulness, we can experience our interbeing with the Earth's delicate atmosphere, with all the plants, and even with the sun, whose light makes possible the miracle of photosynthesis. With every breath, we can experience communion. With every breath, we can savor the wonders of life. We need to change our ways of thinking and seeing things. We need to realize that the earth is not just our environment. The earth is not something outside of us. Breathing with mindfulness and contemplating your body, you realize that you are the earth. You realize that your consciousness is also the consciousness of the earth. Look around you. What you see is not your environment, it is you. Now this is from what I dare to describe as one of the most highly realized beings on our planet, and yet so many of us humans don't get it, do we? In so many ways, we still behave as if the earth is some kind of self-repleting cornucopia that we can exploit as we wish and not suffer any consequences. Let's take one example, probably the most important one facing us right now, climate change. You must have lived alone in a faraway Himalayan cave for the last few decades not to know something about the debate whether or not human activities cause the unprecedented climate change we're going through right now. Basically, one says that through our ignorance, greed and selfishness, and especially the exploitation of fossil fuels, we're causing devastating effects on the climate. The other side maintains that climate change is a natural process and human activities don't have much to do with it. The fossil fuel industry naturally subscribes to this latter view. Buddhists, on the other hand, with beliefs wholly based on interdependence, as we've seen with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh, preach that we humans have everything to do with climate change. Unfortunately, more influential people, like the President of the United States, hold the opposite view, and it seems that Donald Trump's cabinet will be filled with those who deny human involvement. On the 15th of December last year, the Guardian newspaper published an article about where Trump cabinet nominees stand on climate change, and the results are fairly frightening if you stand with the Buddhists. The article introduces itself like this. As Donald Trump assembles his cabinet, 
one consistent theme has emerged. Many of his nominees have expressed doubt about the science of human-caused climate change. We're seeing an unprecedented amount of influence from the fossil fuel industry in Trump's cabinet. Jerry Simons, who works on climate politics for the Environmental Defense Fund, said, What's missing from this cabinet is the balance one would expect to bring the other side to the equation. And it really leaves us wondering who is looking out for us. Clearly the oil companies are well attended, but who's looking out for us? Now perhaps one of the most frightening of all the appointees is Scott Pruitt to head the Environmental Protection Agency. The Guardian comments on this appointment like this. The Oklahoma Attorney General has been a long-time adversary of the EPA and a close friend to the fossil fuels industry. He helped lead a lawsuit from 28 states against the agency's Clean Power Plan, an Obama administration initiative to cut carbon pollution from coal power plants. He has also accepted more than $250,000 in donations from the oil and gas industry over the course of four campaigns for Attorney General, Lieutenant Governor and State Senator. In a joint op-ed in the National Review, Pruitt wrote that the debate on climate change is far from settled, adding, scientists continue to disagree about the degree and extent of global warming and its connection to the actions of mankind. In fact, writes The Guardian, the overwhelming majority of scientists agree climate change is happening and caused by humans. And to validate this claim, The Guardian links to another article in which it quotes a survey on consensus done by Skeptical Science that shows some 97% of climate change scientists say human beings are causing climate change. Now this is what you will find if you go to the website www.skepticalscience.com. Authors of seven climate consensus studies, including Naomi Oreskes, Peter Doran, William Underreg, Bart Verheigen, Ed Maybach, J. Stuart Carlton and John Cook, co-authored a paper that should settle the expert climate consensus question once and for all. The two key conclusions from the paper are, one, depending on exactly how you measure the expert consensus, it's somewhere between 90% and 100% that agree humans are responsible for climate change. With most of our studies, finding 97% consensus among publishing climate scientists. And two, the greater the climate expertise amongst those surveyed, the higher the consensus on human-caused global warming. Expert consensus is a powerful thing, the Guardian says. People know we don't have the time or capacity to learn about everything, and so we frequently defer to the conclusions of experts. It's why we visit doctors when we're ill. The same is true of climate change. Most people defer to the expert consensus of climate scientists. Crucially, as we note in our paper, public perception of the scientific consensus has been found to be a gateway belief, affecting other climate beliefs and attitudes, including policy support. That's why those who oppose taking action to curb climate change have engaged in a misinformation campaign to deny the existence of expert consensus. They've been largely successful as the public badly underestimate the expert consensus in what we call the consensus gap. 
only 16% of Americans realize that the consensus is above 90%. The website then goes on to explain what it calls the Consensus Project, which tries to determine the level of climate change consensus among scientists. It says, Scientists need to back up their opinions with research and data that survive the peer review process. A skeptical science peer reviewed survey of all, that's over 12,000, peer reviewed abstracts on the subject global climate change and global warming, published between 1991 and 2011, found that over 97% of the papers taking a position on the subject agreed with a consensus position that humans are causing global warming. In the second phase of the project, the scientist authors were emailed and rated over 2,000 of their own papers. Once again, over 97% of the papers taking a position on the cause of global warming agreed that humans are causing it. The site then quotes a number of surveys of peer-reviewed abstracts, starting with one by geologist and science historian Naomi Oreskes in 2004, who analyzed 928 abstracts of papers from scientific journals. Skeptical Science says, a survey of all peer-reviewed abstracts on the subject Global Climate Change, published between 1993 and 2003, shows that not a single paper rejected the consensus position that global warming is man-caused. 75% of the papers agreed with the consensus position, while 25% made no comment either way. Now focused on methods or paleoclimate analysis. Benny Pizer, a climate contrarian, repeated Oreskes' survey and claimed to have found 34 peer-reviewed studies rejecting the consensus. However, an inspection of each of the 34 studies reveals most of them don't reject the consensus at all. The remaining articles in Pizer's list are editorials or letters, not peer-reviewed studies. Pizer has since retracted his criticism of Oreskes' study. He wrote this, Only a few abstracts explicitly reject or doubt the AGW, anthropogenic global warming, consensus, which is why I have publicly withdrawn this point of my critique. I do not think anyone is questioning that we are in a period of global warming. Neither do I doubt that the overwhelming majority of climatologists is agreed that the current warming period is mostly due to human impact. Now that doesn't say what standpoint he's coming from, but it does at least admit that most climatologists agree that climate warming is due to human activities. Skeptical Science then quotes another survey, this time conducted by Peter Doran and Maggie Kendall Zimmerman of the Earth and Environmental Sciences Department of the University of Illinois at Chicago. It says, A survey of 3,146 Earth scientists asked the question, Do you think human activity is a significant contributing factor in changing mean global temperatures? More than 90% of the participants had PhDs, and 7% had master's degrees. Overall, 82% of the scientists answered yes. However, what are most interesting are the responses compared to the level of expertise in climate science. Of scientists who were non-climatologists and didn't publish research, 77 answered yes. In contrast, 97.5% of climatologists 
who actively publish research on climate change, responded yes. The website concludes, as the level of active research and specialization in climate science increases, so does agreement that humans are significantly changing global temperatures. Skeptical Science then notes, most striking is the divide between expert climate scientists, that's 97.4%, and the general public at 58%. And the paper concludes, it seems that the debate on the authenticity of global warming and the role played by human activity is largely non-existent among those who understand the nuances and scientific basis of long-term climate processes. The challenge, rather, appears to be how to effectively communicate this fact to policymakers and to a public that continues to mistakenly perceive debate among scientists. The website then cites another survey, this one by Assistant Professor William Anderegg of the University of Utah in 2010. It says, This overwhelming consensus among climate experts is confirmed by an independent study that surveys all climate scientists who have publicly signed declarations supporting or rejecting the consensus. They find between 97% and 98% of climate experts support the consensus. Moreover, they examine the number of publications by each scientist as a measure of expertise in climate science. They find the average number of publications by unconvinced scientists, that's skeptics, is around half the number of bioscientists convinced by the evidence. Not only is there a vast difference in the number of convinced versus unconvinced scientists, there's also a considerable gap in expertise between the two groups. Finally, Skeptical Science cites Vision Prize, which defines itself as an online poll of scientists about climate risk. Skeptical Science says, It is an impartial and independent research platform for incentivizing polling of experts on important scientific issues that are relevant to policy makers. In addition to assessing the views of scientists, Vision Prize asked its expert participants to predict the views of their scientific colleagues. Vision Prize collected data for three years between 2011 and 2014 from participants, 85% of whom were academics and about half were earth scientists. Skeptical Science writes, approximately 90% of participants responded that human activity has had a primary influence over global temperatures over the last 250 years, with the other 10% answering that it has been a secondary cause and none answering either that humans have had no influence or the temperatures have not increased. Note also that the participants expected less than 80% to peg humans as the primary cause and a few percent to say humans have no influence. The consensus was significantly better than the participants anticipated. Now it's against this background that Donald Trump appoints deniers like Scott Pruitt to his cabinet. This is what The Guardian writes about the man appointed to oversee the Department of the Interior, Ryan Zinker. Zinker is a Montana congressman, former Navy SEAL commander and Iraq war veteran who has consistently voted in favor of oil and gas drilling projects on federal lands. As Interior Secretary, he will have oversight over the use of federal lands and controversial pipeline and drilling projects. 
the congressman supports the Keystone XL pipeline and supported measures to remove protections from endangered species while opposing legislation to regulate fracking. The League of Conservation Voters gave him a lifetime voting scorecard of 3%. While previously acknowledging the science behind climate change, Zinka said in 2014 that it is not proven. And then you have this about Trump's Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. Throughout his time in the U.S. Senate, Sessions has consistently voted against climate action, with the League of Conservation Voters giving him a scorecard of 7%. He said on the Senate floor in 2003, I believe there are legitimate disputes about the validity and extent of global warming. Carbon dioxide does not hurt you. We have to have it in the atmosphere. It is what plants breathe. In fact, the more carbon dioxide that exists, the faster plants grow. Sessions reportedly said last year that the fight against climate change hurts poor people. And in 2015, he reiterated his claim that increased carbon dioxide was not bad for you. Carbon pollution is CO2, and that's really not a pollutant. That's a plant food, and it doesn't harm anybody except that it might include temperature increases, he said. And what about Tom Price, the man given the top job at the Department of Health and Human Services? Yes, that's right, the Department of Health and Human Services. The Guardian notes that Price, believe it or not, is a noted climate change skeptic. It says, in a statement supporting a bill to fight EPA regulations on carbon dioxide, Price said, This decision goes against all common sense, especially considering the many recent revelations of errors and obfuscation in the allegedly settled science of global warming. He has consistently voted against incentivizing renewable energy sources with tax credits and in favor of increased oil exploration. He signed a pledge created by Americans for, for Prosperity, a conservative think tank founded by the Koch brothers, to oppose climate legislation. You can read more about the climate change stand of other Trump appointees on www.theguardian.com website. Most are climate change deniers. Now why do people, some of whom must be pretty smart, go against what the vast majority of specialists claim as the facts? Is it just political expediency or personal prejudice, an ego-driven clinging to a belief, even if it is erroneous, so as not to be seen as weak? In the International Weekly of Science, entitled Nature, Dan Kahan, the Elizabeth K. Dollard Professor of Law and Professor of Psychology at Yale Law School, argues that regardless of the facts, people will entrench themselves in a position that, and I quote, reinforces their connection to others with whom they share important commitments. It doesn't really matter what the information says. We will either twist it or deny it to suit the views and connections we share with others. Kahan entitled his paper Fixing the Communications Failure, and it goes like this. In a famous 1950 psychology experiment, researchers showed students from two Ivy League colleges a film of an American football game between their schools in which officials made a series of controversial decisions against one side. Asked to make their own assessments, students who attended the offending team's college reported seeing half as many illegal plays as did students from the opposing institution. 
group ties, the researchers concluded, had unconsciously motivated students from both colleges to view the tape in a manner that favoured their own school. Since then, a growing body of work has suggested that ordinary citizens react to scientific evidence on societal risks in much the same way. People endorse whichever position reinforces their connection to others with whom they share important commitments. As a result, public debate about science is strikingly polarized. The same groups who disagree on cultural issues, that's abortion, same-sex marriage and school prayer, also disagree on whether climate change is real and on whether underground disposal of nuclear waste is safe. The ability of democratic societies to protect the welfare of their citizens depends on finding a way to counteract this culture war over empirical data. Unfortunately, prevailing theories of science communication do not help much. Many experts attribute political controversy over risk issues to the complexity of the underlying science or the imperfect dissemination of information. Now, if that were the problem, we would expect beliefs about issues such as environmental risk, public health and crime control to be distributed randomly or according to levels of, edu of education, not by moral outlook. Various cognitive biases, excessive attention to vivid dangers, for example, or re self-reinforcing patterns of social interaction distort people's perception of risk, but they too do not explain why people who subscribe to competing moral outlooks react differently to scientific data. A process that does account for this distinctive form of polarization is cultural cognition. Cultural cognition refers to the influence of group values on risk perceptions and related beliefs. These group values are those relating to equality and authority, individualism and community. Professor Kahan continues, In ongoing research, Donald Brahman at George Washington University Law School in Washington, D.C., Jeffrey Cohen at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California, John Gastel at the University of Washington in Seattle, Paul Slovic at the University of Oregon in Eugene, and I study the mental processes behind cultural cognition. For example, people find it disconcerting to believe that behavior they find noble is nevertheless detrimental to society, and behavior that they find base is beneficial to it. Because accepting such a claim could drive a wedge between them and their peers, they have a strong emotional predisposition to reject it. Our research suggests that this form of protective cognition is a major cause of political conflict over the credibility of scientific data on climate change and other environmental risks. People with individualistic values who prize personal initiative and those with hierarchical values who respect authority tend to dismiss evidence of environmental risks because the widespread acceptance of such evidence would lead to restrictions on commerce and industry activities that they admire. By contrast, people who subscribe to more egalitarian and communitarian values are suspicious of commerce and industry, which they see as sources of unjust disparity. Thus they are more inclined to believe that such activities pose unacceptable risks and should be restricted. Such differences, we have found, explain disagreements in environmental risk perceptions more completely than differences in gender, race, income, education level, political ideology, personality type, or any other 
individual characteristic. Cultural cognition also causes people to interpret new evidence in a biased way that reinforces their predispositions. As a result, groups with opposing values often become more polarized, not less, when exposed to scientifically sound information. In one study, we examined how this process can influence people's perceptions of the risks of nanotechnology. We found that relative to counterparts in a control group, people who were supplied with neutral, balanced information immediately splintered into highly polarized factions, consistent with their cultural predispositions towards more familiar environmental risks, such as nuclear power and genetically modified foods. Of course, because most people aren't in a position to evaluate technical data for themselves, they tend to follow the lead of credible experts. But cultural cognition operates here too. The experts whom laypersons see as credible, we have found, are ones whom they perceive to share their values. This was the conclusion of a study we carried out of Americans' attitudes towards human papillomavirus vaccination for schoolgirls. This common sexually transmitted virus is the leading cause of cervical cancer. The U.S. government's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended in 2006 that the vaccine be routinely administered to girls aged 11 or 12 before they are likely to become exposed to the virus. That proposal has languished amidst intense political controversy, with critics claiming that the vaccine causes harmful side effects and will increase unsafe sex amongst teens. To test how expert opinion affects this debate, we constructed arguments for and against mandatory vaccination and matched them with fictional male experts, whose appearance, besuited and grey-haired, for example, or denim-shirted and bearded, and publication titles were designed to make them look as if they had distinct cultural perspectives. When the expert who was perceived as hierarchical and individualistic criticized the CDC recommendation, people who shared those values and who were already predisposed to see the vaccine as risky became even more intensely opposed to it. Likewise, when the expert perceived as egalitarian and communitarian defended the vaccine as safe, people with egalitarian values became even more supportive of it. Yet when we inverted the expert argument pairings, attributing support for mandatory vaccination to the hierarchical expert and opposition to the egalitarian one, people shifted their positions and polarizations disappeared. Taken together, these dynamics help to explain the peculiar cultural polarization on scientific issues in the United States and beyond. Like fans at a sporting contest, people deal with evidence selectively to promote their emotional interest in their group. On issues ranging from climate change to gun control, from synthetic biology to counterterrorism, they take their cue about what they should feel and hence believe from the cheers and boos of the home crowd. But unlike sports fans watching a game, citizens who hold opposing cultural outlooks are in fact rooting for the same outcome, the health, safety and economic well-being of their society. And at this point, we will have to leave the discussion as our time is up. We'll have more to say about this next week, but now it's time to say farewell. Thanks for being part of the program today, and I hope you will tune in again next week. Please dedicate the positive potential of the program to gaining enlightenment 
for the sake of all living beings. Thank you and goodbye. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.